1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Warden's Watch Podcast is now on Patreon. Combining the Thin Green Line Podcast and the Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon to bring member-exclusive extra content, both video, audio, and with product deals as well. Become a member to support our podcast and get something extra. Search Warden's Watch Podcast on Patreon.
0: Welcome, guys, to the Thin Green Line Podcast. And today we have uh, the privilege of having Bud Carr search and rescue expert from the Pacific Northwest joining us, um, and he's going to give us a lot of interesting perspectives, not only on a a great background he's had, but some of the search and rescue cases related to uh, arduous conditions, especially in that that northwestern corner where we both live, up around Washington, Montana, Idaho, uh, and also compare notes with how my brother Wayne Saunders and uh, the search and rescue teams out east do it as well. Bud, how are you, and welcome to the show. Good, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Welcome. I appreciate it. Yeah. Before we get started, man, I got to give a shout out to your and my mutual friend, Luke Randall from Kodiak Life. Um, I had no idea you were out there until Luke mentioned you. And uh, as, as, as you know, and Wayne is, I think, you know, as well, since before recording. Um, Luke is an outfitter and a guide up all over Kodiak and a Fognak Island for brown bear and fishing trips and spent his whole life up there. And has been immersed in very arduous, dangerous conditions just to go recreate in that area. Right, bud. Um, yeah. So, kudos to Luke, great guy, and I want to thank Luke for guiding you to us or guiding me to you or however we want to define that. When right. uh, I started looking at your background and you and I have dialogue, just blown away by some of the cases you guys have done and um I'm and I was unaware of them, but now we are. So, thanks for being on the show, man, and uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into this whole world of search and rescue and uh and and how it all started. Well,
3: um, in the eighties, my, I was born in California. We moved around a lot. My dad was quite the entrepreneur growing up as a young man. Um, in the eighties, he ended up acquiring a gold mine up in Colorado called the June, July Basin Gold Mine. And he operated that for about a decade. Um, and during that time, he was a search and rescue coordinator there within, uh, was it Mesa County? I can't remember the county. Um, and so, you know, back in the eighties growing up, it was, you know, I would be able to accompany my dad because he was a coordinator and how they usually ran it was a hiker or a hunter or gold miner went missing. You know, the call would go out to the whole community. Hey, we need people that are, you know, good mountain people to come out and help find the, find the missing individual. And, you know, they go to the trailhead or wherever that was closest to the search zone. He had this huge, you know, military canvas tent, set that up and people would start showing up. And those who were deemed, you know, capable of going out in the field without getting hurt or injured or lost they'd let him go out in the field um and there was a, quite a few times that i'd be able to accompany my dad because you know he'd stay at the command center and that's where he'd coordinate from so as a young kid i could sit there and hang out with my dad um and also i, I was a boy scout so that was part of doing some boy scout stuff too to some merit badges um it wasn't until um 2010 that i Really got into you know search and rescue in the sense of what how how we are and what and what me and my team actually does. Um, we're not with uh, a uh, a separate entity or a separate organization. We're kind of our own organization. And we, me and a whole bunch of friends, we were just going up into the mountains to go spend like four days, and we stopped by uh, the Rockport store, and the owner Dave uh you know saw us there and he's like, hey, uh you guys know that uh there's a missing lady up on Stock Mountain. I could stand in my backyard and see sock Mountain from my house and it's really? summits fifty six hundred feet. Uh we're like, no, we didn't know that. He's like, yeah, she went missing last night. They're up there right now. You should go up there and, and lend a hand. Okay. So uh, you know, me and my three friends, we went up there. One of them is a former uh nineteen Delta Cavalry Scout that was based out of point joint uh uh, for joint Fort Lewis (laughs) McCord. That was such a twister. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so we go up there, you know, command center set up, we go to ask, you know, to offer our services and, and help. And we were rejected and turned away and it was kind of disheartening, but they asked us, Hey, you know, we got this under control. Will you please leave? So, you know, we left three days later, they called off the search and, you know, me and my friends, they didn't find her. Um so we were, we decided to go back up there and and look some more. And while we were doing that we ended up bumping into the family uh, and uh you know came together coordinated with them and searched up there for about a month and a half. Um uh, some things were coming about like the, her boyfriend she was with was really notorious, has a really bad criminal background, uh was in you know was facing federal criminal charges for gun running and all this other stuff. And the family started to believe because she found out about some things that he was into, you know, drugs, gun running, things like that. So the family was starting to collect evidence that, you know, she might not have ever been on the mountain, that that might've been a whole charade and she could have bet with foul play. Um, and the son, Alan, of uh, the woman, Patty Krieger was her name, asked us, you know, it was like, hey. I don't think my mom's on this mountain. Therefore, I don't want you guys out here risking your life and limbs for, you know, my mom, who I don't even think's out here. Right. So we kind of, you know, stopped. Uh, we stopped that. There. there was one time after that where um, the son, you know, came to me and was like, hey, there's a rumor. There's this old limestone mine that's only like a mile and a half from my house. Uh, that a lot of kids you know used to frequent back in the 90s. I used to frequent it all the time. It's a pretty cool old mine. There's lots of shafts down in there and stuff. and well, there was a rumor that you know he used to hang out there. So he thought maybe um, he took Patty there and might have pushed her down into a mine shaft. Mm. And the family reached out to search and rescue and law enforcement about it, but the because of the the, uh, the danger that it was, And the lack of, like, really good, solid lead, it wasn't worth them going in there and investigating. So the family asked me and my team, hey, you know, we really think that this could be a possibility. Would you be willing to go inside there and look? And I was like, heck, yeah. You know, um, I've done, you know, I'm a mountaineer. I know how to work ropes. I've done some spelunking in my day as a Boy Scout in Utah. There was great caves in Utah to go spelunking. (laughs) So we went we went down in there and, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, she wasn't in there and she still remains missing to this day.
0: Wow. But it sounds like that case and how convoluted and and just mysterious and sinister that got it kind of. Generated an interest from that point to work those type of cases where you guys could adju- you could you could adjunct a formalized search and rescue team through the county, through the sheriff's office, through allied agencies like Wayne and I have always worked on. Usually, you know, our search and rescue teams are comprised of people from multiple agencies. Yeah. So- Fast forward us to some of the stuff you did after that and how you integrated with those teams and some of the fines uh, that you that you were successful on because you just sent us an article that was really interesting on a case that had been going on several years and it looks like there's a couple interesting new cases coming up that you and your team will be adjuncting formalized teams or you know government teams if you will uh, to, to try to solve the case and, and, and try to either save a life or get some closure. On some For some family members that have had a missing person out there for way too long and they've just gone undetected.
3: So that's uh, our main focus with my team is strictly on the missing who's been out there, presumed dead for quite some time. OK, um, you know, the West Coast has the best. And, and, and the, the best search and rescue teams out here is on the West Coast. And that was something we kind of talked about before I started recording between the difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. Um, you know, the funding out here, I, I don't know if it's a lot of it has to do with the terrain, you know, the mountains. We got all the big box outdoor stores here, you know, REI's headquarters. You know, we have all the volcanoes up the West Coast. Um, You could go from the oceans to rugged mountains like the Alps in uh, an hour drive. Uh, So up here, they are really highly outfitted, trained, um, experienced and skilled. And, you know, if they don't find you within the uh, first 48 hours up to, I would say, you know, maybe 72, chances are them finding you is going to be slim to none. Um, it's just the statistics of it, unfortunately, and more than likely that you're perished. Um, and lost person behavior, as you guys know, being a search and rescue, people who vanished without a trace is in that 3% percentile range that you got a 3% chance of ever finding those people. Um, so we, sp- we come in after search and rescue has done everything that they have done. Sometimes. You know, they'll work with us, giving us, you know, the case file, all the detailed maps of where, you know, they have worked and have have searched the copies of reports. Um, and then, you know, and then from there, because they only have so many resources and search and rescue, you know, the resources are to bring people home alive. Right. Um, and and I and I hope that at some, you know, at some point in time, we can create, I don't know, some type of fund with cold case search and rescue teams who do continue to go out and have the resources they need to continue on a case to find them because the, you know the person is is gone but they leave a whole family of people behind who still care and still don't know what happened to their loved one and You know, the not knowing has got to be the worst.
0: Yeah, it brings up a really good point that you don't really think of and the public doesn't think of it. And even us coming from agency backgrounds and operational there, you know, you don't really focus on that second phase of the lost hiker, the missing person, you know, in arduous terrain that just completely disappears. They don't get found. And then, you know, there's so much crazy other stuff in the news, uh, obviously, with where we're at right now. Everything is blowing up and that story is going to just go away um, really quickly. And to even know that there's teams like yours out there that will take a cold case file and put some time and effort to try to, you know, find that person is really huge. And, you know, something we promote on the thin green line is how precious and necessary our outdoor environment is for mental health, for water purity, for wildlife species. And we know it's being impacted all the time. And threatened all the time throughout the entire country. And we want to encourage people to be out there to help protect it, to help enjoy it. Right. But, right. You know, conversely, you're, if you're going to go out there untrained or unprepared, and all three of us in this conversation know that we can get into some real trouble and we can end up, you know, injured or worse And, you know, it it can kind of put a fear into non-outdoor type people coming from urban environments that are trying to get into conservation, ethical, legal hunting, trying to explore rivers, trying to fish for the first time, or just go backpacking or hiking. And then something like this happens and, you know, it can terrify people and it can alienate people. If you really look at it deeply and then not to have closure from a lost loved one, I mean, that would, that could, that would put the fear of, you know, you know what in anybody, um, of even going back into that particular area where somebody was lost. So uh, it's super cool that you guys are doing that and that you have the support of at least the agencies in the Northwest, it sounds like. And I I had, I worked with similar groups in California a little bit because again, a lot of search and rescue teams, highly trained, uh, you know, a lot of allied agency support when we come together, but there were cases and Wayne can tell some stories too, where we didn't find the missing person. And to this day, they still haven't been found. And yeah. in a lot of cases, um, getting into you know the, the 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 cartel cannabis issue of the hidden war issue that we talk about quite a bit on this podcast and on Warden's Watch, some of it can be related to that. We know it's related to that. They stumble, grow. Yeah. They stumble into a cartel criminal that can't can't have that thing discovered because Le hasn't been on it yet. And we know people disappear because of that, but a multitude of other reasons. So just being able to find and close that is huge. Um, certainly, curious what stories you have of anybody you have found, or what cases you're looking to to go after that are the most I don't know craziest, if you will, or or most sinister.
2: Yeah. Before you go into that, though. But I'd like to just, uh, you know, before we move on yeah. that conversation, i, I got to disagree with you that the best search and rescue teams are on the West Coast. But having been a search manager <laughs> on the East Coast, I can say I don't have experience with West Coast, but I certainly uh, know my East Coast teams are very top-notch. And uh, w- without those, especially the volunteers, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And being that search manager that turns groups of people that want to join away, because, A, we haven't vetted them, we don't know their experience, yeah. And it sounds like, and that, just like our groups have increased as, you know, you say no and they, well, why? Well, this, 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 and this, and they go get organized and then they come back and we vet them and then they become such a resource. And it sounds like you have done that. So kudos to you well, to a certain
3: that. to a certain extent. To a certain extent. Okay.
2: <laughs>
3: I wasn't meaning to disparage against the, uh, against the East Coast star teams out there, but, uh, from from what i've heard as far as uh in the SAR community um that's that i guess that's a little ego battle between the east coast <laughs> versus the west coast and i'll give you that you know, <laughs> who wants to be the king of the mountain i guess and, and out here they want to say oh well we got the biggest mountains so we must be you the too. kings. i don't know but i try to stay out of that as much as possible when it uh, comes to that
2: Yeah. Um, no certainly resources wanna, are huge uh,
3: You know, I I don't want to mislead anyone, anybody, you know, with my organization and my team, um, you know, we do get a lot of resistance from many of the search and rescue organizations out here because of what we do. And the, and the, and the biggest reason why is because of how we do it. One, you know, we're very public about our missions. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) we work hand in hand with the family, um and you know the biggest thing that they really uh don't like about us is the fact that we're public with our missions. You know, we 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 video record with our GoPros out there, we have updates on our search missions out there. And they and because search and rescue don't operate that way, you know, they don't like to be public about the the right. fine details, the daily details of what transpires out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and the reason why we do it is one, cause the cases that we're on, you know, it gives the daily solace to these families that they can literally see there's somebody out there searching for my loved one, Mm -hmm. you know, that gives them a solace every day to be able to actually see it. Cause sure. I could say, yeah, we're out there looking. uh, Um, and I'm sitting on my couch, uh, you know, so that's the number one reason why we are very public and have a social media presence with our search operations is because the families really do love having that mm-hmm. for them.
2: Totally.
0: Well, and 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 to the and to your point there, Bud and and Wayne, you and I have experienced this a lot. Um, there's always that rift when you know, organized law enforcement, search and rescue governmental run teams. And you come up to what are basically civilian contractors with a ton of experience. And there's always going to be that rift. And I'm going to to put an example that's relevant to the conversation. We have contractor security teams actually in the Emerald Triangle of California and all over California on private tracks of big timberland that are covered with cartel, you know, cannabis grows. And the sheriff's office or us from fish and wildlife met or our cannabis enforcement teams will work those areas, but we're so overwhelmed on the public land stuff, just because of sheer numbers um, that these contractor groups that are hired by those landowners of private tracks, highly skilled, very proficient, know exactly what to do from the standpoint of their certifications to what level of detainment they can do before they call in the sheriff's office or if they call in, you know, a uh, fish and game wardens or whatever the case may be. But a lot of those teams you know, um, just don't get a lot of love from the agencies because they aren't inside the law enforcement umbrella. And quite honestly, after working with a couple of cool teams, specifically Lear and Paul Truett's team out in, out in Northern California, um, it, it's unjustified that we don't let them in more. Um, it's something that we're always low on numbers. We're always stressed to the max because especially in the game warden world, Wayne and I, I mean, yeah you know, we're like the the Kenny shoe salesman of like every shoe, right? You got to like do every job on, on the traditional side. And then we're doing search (sighs) and then we're doing special operations with uh, cannabis work, like our Met unit. Um, And I was a little apprehensive when I started to first meet these contractor groups, but then getting to work with them and having them, get that vettedness from us and being such an assisting aid and a force multiplier and have an area knowledge that we don't even have because they're so intimate with the area that they're on a contract to protect to patrol or whatever the case may be. It's awesome. So yeah, as long as you, you know, you establish your credibility um, that they're not—they're not a bunch of rogue cowboys out there. That these guys are really skilled; they know what they're doing. We don't have a, a liability from agency for what they're going to do, so yeah. maybe we can share the wealth a little bit, and they can go a little bit outside the box than we can because we got to get back to our day job. We have those protocols, and then we can continue doing it. And I think it's a great thing when done correctly. Having had that experience, um, but you are the first—you know—contractor, quote unquote, civilian. Uh, search and rescue team coming in to do something like that, that I've ever got to talk to. So it's, it's really interesting for, and and Wayne having his search and rescue background, I can't speak for him, but I don't think he's run across a group like yours either. I I could be wrong, Wayne, but fill us in. So it's, it's kind of cool to see how we can help each other and get the word out that with a good vetted team in this world, just like I say, with private land contracting protection, against cartel gunmen. I think it's a great asset when done correctly.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um. You know, we're not just a bunch of hillbillies that say, "Let's grab some bush beer and head to the mountains." You know. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go uh, <laughs> dive in a cave
0: and start splunking. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, you're you you're know, a resource we, yeah.
2: after the fact, though. But that's the cold case. When you coined it that way, that that brings it into very good perspective. And there's not a lot of teams out there. Uh, New England Canine is one of them that will go out months and months and months after, uh, and continue to look. But Um, There isn't a lot of resources out there for families to go to when, you know, when I have to break the news that we, you know, we're going to break off the search and rescue mission because you're right that the the odds of life existing after three and four days of this weather are probably pretty rare um, and that. So cold case, I don't even want to call it search and rescue, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no no uh,
3: and we try to like we try not to uh you know use that term either because right. you know, we're, we're i mean we're not really rescuing anybody alive but we in a sense are rescuing yes. you know the person off the mountain and in, in, in that yes. sense and we're and we're rescuing the families and that's the biggest thing is um you know the bonds and that and you know a lot of people ask me you know why don't you just become search and rescue? Why don't you become search and rescue, right? You know, and just join the search and rescue team. Well, the number one is, is I like being able to operate how I like to operate, mm-hmm. you know, up here in the, in, in the West coast up here, search and rescue. The only teams who could stay out overnight is the hasty team. You know, and that's when someone's life is completely on the line and they have the the, the the best of the best in their team go out and search all night, stay on the mountain, stay in the field and keep at it until they're finally withdrawn. Right. Uh, me, I like being able, you know, I hate wasting time running mm. up and down the trail or driving up and down from my house to the trailhead. It's so much time and energy that yeah. w- people waste to get to the search zone, whereas us, Even though we know that the people are 90 some percent chance that they are perished, I still want to just be able to go up, set up a forward operating base right there in the search zone and stay there and just work from there. Spend all my time and energy actually searching and not getting to and from the search.
2: Yeah. Well, that makes great sense. Uh, do you use canines? What, what, you know, I, I look at the skills that you're looking for. I mean, bird activity, animal activity. I mean, there's all kinds of things that come to my mind doing what you do and they're, uh, yeah, like I said, there's very few people out there doing it. So I would say don't, don't, don't join a search and rescue do keep doing what you're doing because it is rare. And what a great thing for the family connection to have somebody out there updating them and, you know, most state agencies don't like uh, social media. It, it, it's it's hard oh, yeah, to break I, that. But having you guys out there, I can see where the sense... I was big on, you know, I was the guy that was always breaking the news to the family during the search and rescue. Uh, that was my skill set. It was horrible. But I, I made yeah. an effort to update them as much as I could, what we were doing, as much detail as I could, no matter what, because it's critical to have that connection. And you're extending yeah. that on... And, yeah there's some comfort that somebody's out there still looking for their loved ones and I'm sure they're updating you as much as they can um, things like that but the, the skill sets that you bring and I mean and, and I boy do I agree with the traveling back and forth uh, I've had to make some calls leaving teams out when I, I know it's it's miserable it's snowy it's wet and uh, but you know by the time they hike out we hike back in they're there I, you know guys hunker yeah. down uh, deploy and uh, yeah it's it's, it's a tough call to make but you are 100% right you're there and it sounds Thanks. like you really envelop into that search area and, and really take it in and uh become part of it
3: yes um yeah I, you know me it's you know if they're out there laying on the ground alone the least I can do is be out there laying on the ground alone also mm. um and my team um and you know and and it also you know it it's it also shows the families the level of sincerity of us, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that's who, you know, that's who we are really bringing the greatest benefit to is the families. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's, you know, there's people out here who go missing who, you know, and I've got friends that we've talked about it, you know, hey, if I ever go missing, it's it's two things. It's either I'm gone forever and, you know, I died in a place where I wanted to be you know, or two, I'll show back up in three or four weeks haggard. Uh, So, you know, some of these people that go missing, you know, that's where they wanted to go missing. That's the place where they wanted to have their final moment was out there in God's graces. Um, But it's the families who are left behind who are the ones that are suffering. Uh, You know, the missing person is, like I said, probably already gone. Um, In another plane of existence, but the families are still here suffering on this existence. And that's who we're really bringing the greatest benefit to is to them. Mm.
0: Yeah, and and, uh, kudos that you guys are doing that. And I think, you know, to Wayne's point, that's the difference between uh, an organized agency response of what we can and can't share. You know, and obviously, Wayne, you said it best when, from the standpoint of social media and telling the story and bringing back a story that's critical of a missing person, that we've moved on in our agency world because we're just getting pounded by so many demands. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something that you know, both of us in retirement are very lucky to be able to focus on. We're able to focus on stories a little bit more on the thin green line on Warden's Watch. And dive into stuff that agencies can't necessarily dive into Um, that, you know, um, media structuring or or however media releases are going for the proximity of the moment. And this is a really, uh, you know, this intrigues me and it intrigues me from the standpoint because we're so passionate about, you know, keeping people safe first and foremost. I mean, as game wardens. Our thing is environment, you know, protect our wildlife waterways and wild lands. But ultimately, we're law enforcement guys first. And public safety is paramountly the most important thing. And when you talk about public safety in the great outdoors, things get Western and more dangerous a lot quicker, obviously, because of the environment we work in. So you sent me a link. What are you guys doing these days um, to kind of bring our listeners and viewers up to date on some of the cases you're working on, just so they're familiar with the issue? And take a Northwest case and, you know, maybe this will spur some East Coast cases that are going to pop up and that people are going to be concerned about and that we can certainly elaborate on more with teams out here on the the East side. But let us know what's going down.
3: All right. Well, right now, while we just closed out the Rachel Lackaduck case, Um, she went missing 28 year, year old woman. Uh, Went went to the Hidden Lake Lookout in 2019. It was her birthday, October 17th. It was the first really bad winter storm of the season up here. Those end of October storms are the first really brutal ones. And she ended up getting caught uh, up about 5,500 feet in the open. Um, First bad winter storm was coming in. We were actually just coming down from a search uh, for another missing lady who went missing the year prior down on Vesper Peak, we were just coming down from that. Um, and, uh, you know, we find out through the grapevine that, you know, there's a gal up there missing. Search and rescue is actively up there. Super bad conditions, avalanche, danger, complete whiteout conditions. Um, and uh, But they believed that she made it to the lookout. And if she would have made it to the lookout, they got supplies in there. Um, they believed that she would have survived and I've been trapped in a lookout up here for seven days before, uh, got caught in a winter storm and you're just stuck until it clears and then you could get out. So they really believed and hoped that she got to the lookout, but they couldn't get anybody up because the way that where the, this lookout, uh, situated is really dangerous in winter conditions. Um. Finally, after six or seven days, they finally were able to drop a guy in by the helicopter to the lookout. She wasn't there. No evidence that she was, that she made it there. Right. Um, and then they started scouring the mountain for her, but uh, didn't turn up anything. Uh, you know, we heard about it and we went up, me and my team went up and started work looking and ended up meeting the husband, uh, Jamie coming down off of a search. We were up there for three days and came down cause of conditions and, uh, met him coming up to post missing person flyers on the trailhead sign. Talked to him, you know, told him what we were up there doing. Hey, I want to, you know, coordinate with you guys. Search and rescue called off the search and I can't leave my, my wife up here alone. Met her father, Brad, dad, and, uh, pretty much, um, just started. They, uh, they, uh, made me their family search operations manager and said, Hey, you know, lead the, lead the team, do whatever, bring our girl home, please. We have nobody else to turn to. Yeah. Um, so for the last <laughs> two years, uh, myself personally, I put over 500 hours on the mountain. I got over a hundred miles. That's now this is, and this is where I kind of differ with search and rescue, you know, Um, Search and rescue, they have to add all their hours from the day, the moment they leave their house to the moment they return to their house. All those hours are counted. Uh, Their miles of how many miles they travel is from when they leave their house to when they return. Me, I, 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 I don't want to disparage that. I know I know the reasons why they have to do that. But I think it gives the families a false sense of the amount of effort that's going into these searches. Um, you know, in Rachel's case, it was, oh, we spent 8,000 hours searching and the family sit there and they think that, wow, you know, if you had, if you spent 8,000 hours searching in seven days, you had an army of hundreds out there. Um, you know, they really don't understand that. Whereas with me, when I say I got 500 hours, that's 500 hours in the search zone searching a hundred miles of actually off the trail searching in the search zone. And that way they have a true clear grasp of what we're putting into it. And that's just me personally. That's not counting the other dozen or people that are in my team. And even more, sometimes we have up to 20 people out there at a time too.
0: Well, Um, just, just to jump in for a second on that, uh, to that point, when you get to the point where that person is missing that long, they're not going to be in conventional areas where, you know, we're going to go on a first sweep or a secondary yeah. sweep. You're, usually they're off the grid, completely different in a different location than they were suspected to be. Um, nope. I'm thinking about cases specifically like Yosemite park and the Eastern Sierra up there about around Mount Whitney on some stuff we worked and, you know, um, yeah, these people weren't anywhere where they were supposed to be because they, you know, put a wrong, you know, a wrong location down. They were unfamiliar with the area. Something really heinous happened completely out of the area. So, and a search and rescue team from agency can't be expected to figure that out, obviously, because we're going to a specific area based on an itinerary, and we're working the best we can with what we have, um, yeah. and bringing the resources we can. And, and yeah, they cost a lot. It costs a lot to transport us up there and to divert from other jobs and to bring in people on all those, you know, quote unquote, they are bureaucratic, but necessary. Overtime budgets, operational budgets, logistics, planning, all the stuff we do, you guys can go in a lot freer and you can go in a lot longer and you're not, you know, and you're not on basically a limited supply chain. You're supplying your own funds or getting funds from, I'm I'm guessing, NGO uh, volunteer funds or donations, uh, or whatever the case might be, and probably working out of pocket, I would imagine quite a bit as well.
3: Yeah, a lot of it is uh, a lot of it's out of out of my pocket. I'm I'm a carpenter by trade. I'm a journeyman carpenter, so a lot of it is you know I. Especially since the Sam Sayers case is when I really got thrown into it. Um, that was the missing gal who went to a missing investor peak in 2018. Uh, out on a day hike, real popular trail vanished without a trace you know me and my friends were like hey let's go lend a hand went up there searched ended up running into her father soon to be father-in-law and her father on the trail and uh you know it's always a brush by shoulders oh what do you guys you know we got a, a missing family member out here yeah we're out here looking you know and the, the, they really are just like taking like oh wow surprise like wow these just these crazy mountain guys are out here looking for my loved one Um, You know, they're kind of blown away by it. Um, And then so in that one, the Sam Sayers case, it's the longest search and rescue operation in the history of Washington state. It was 27 days, Mm -hmm. um, over 10,000 hours spent, uh, numerous resources uh, from all over the country uh, was involved in in that case. Um, And uh, You know, we ended up meeting, like I said, her father and her soon to be father in law, her fiance's dad, Kevin Darius, who is a uh, chief warrant officer in the U.S. Army down in Louisiana. And, you know, we ended up coordinating with Sam's boyfriend or fiance, however you want to call it, uh, Kevin Darius Jr. We ended up meeting up with him on the mountain and started to coordinate. And I actually just started a job a new job at the time as a foreman for this one company. And they called the John Francis Foundation. I don't know if you've heard of that foundation, the John uh-huh. Francis Foundation. Uh, he's based out of, I think he's based out of Idaho or Montana. David Francis runs it, the father of John. He went missing in the Sawtooth Mountains uh-huh. uh, quite a few years ago. You know, SAR search for a week, ended, and David hired just ground pounder, outdoor guides and hunters to go out and search and found his son. Uh, I think it was like two years after the fact, a year or two after he went missing. Wow. Um, and then started the foundation called the John Francis foundation. And what they do is they assist families kind of like what we do. They're more administrative, helping families, you know, giving them the resources, uh, hooking them up with, you know, search operations plans and helping them manage a, a family search for the, for a loved one. So the Darius family contacted them and they came out. um, And and this was one of the things that, you know, was kind of disparaging was, you know, David Francis is well known in the search and rescue community and helping families with missing loved ones. And he wanted to meet with, you know, the county SAR manager to be able to find out, you know, what they did, what resources, where they searched. And the county manager was like, I'm not meeting with that guy at all. Um, and you know, David asked Kevin, you know, well, who's the, you know, who else do you know that would talk to me that knows the mountain is as, as good as, you know, the SAR manager. And he was like, bud Carr So he, they paid to have me flown up onto the mountain to meet with David Francis, met with David Francis. He brought in, uh, an HRD canine and handler at that time too did a day search with an HRD canine, went back to Kevin's house. To have a meeting this was probably the beginning of october september-ish uh end of september beginning of october and uh you know the family asked david hey you know what do you think a good plan to do and you know and he's like well look he said the season we only got about a month left before the snows come in and the seat and the season knocks us off the mountain your best bet is to make Bud car your search operations manager since he knows so much about this mountain and has pretty good search and, you know, uh, search and rescue, uh, experience and mountain man experience, uh, make him your operations manager. If he'll take it on and, and let him go with it. Because by the time we get, you know, coordinated and deployed, we'd be getting kicked off the mountain. Right. Uh, you know, so the family straight up looked at me like, Hey, you're our only hope. And I was like, well, I got to call my company and I called my boss of so the company. I was like, Hey man, I was like, I gotta, I gotta quit. This family needs me. I, you know, if you want me, when it's done, I'll come back and be your foreman. But right now God is telling me that I got to help these people because they have nobody else to turn to. And my company was like, Hey, it's really respectable. You know, if a position's here for you, when you get back, you're more than welcome to come
0: back. Cool support there. So what was the outcome of that? How did it all go? She's still missing. Okay. She is still missing. But Um, you guys did a good push.
3: Yeah. uh, And we still go up there occasionally. Just this last weekend, uh, Kevin and a couple people from the team were up there uh, looking in a couple specific spots. There's not very many spots left. The number one spot where we think she might be is underneath a snow moat off the north face, which is under a glacier, and that's just too dangerous. You can't go up underneath a glacier in those you know, snow moats to search, and we don't have really the technology yet to do that. So either we gotta wait for technology to clear that area, or until global warming finally melts off all the glaciers, <laughs> then we can, <laughs> whichever one comes first. Uh, so, the, so as of now, you know, we only have one true win, if you want to call it that, and that was the discovery of Rachel Lackaduck, which was August 14th. We, we finally found her.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Can you
3: talk shooter's, about
2: that, bud, the the, 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 locating huh? her? Can you talk about wrapping up that case and the location? You know, I'm assuming your team located her. Yeah, yeah. We were the team who found her.
3: Um. And it, it, all, it all stemmed from... A discovery of her father's last year at the last search before the mount. The weather pushed us off the mountain last year. Uh, her father and a couple of the guys, because, you know, we encourage if the family's physically able to go out, we encourage them to go out because it gives them solace to be out there looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Brad dad came over and him and some of his friends from Eastern Washington, they're from Spokane, Moses Lake area on the Eastern side. And, you know, I have my little search zones depending on, you know, the teams. Then I put the family and, you know, the lesser experienced people in the easier, safer terrain. And us, you know, more experienced guys will take on the, the more sketchy stuff. Uh, And he ended up finding a, a campfire, Um, And we find all sorts of stuff. I mean, we we, we find more trash that human beings leave behind than we find human beings, unfortunately. So we're always cleaning up up there and balloons. Man, I hate fucking balloons. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how many freaking balloons I'm sure John has found probably way more than me after 28 years out there in the woods.
0: There, there's, you know, that that's a funny side tangent, but there were more mylar balloons on the west coast, Silicon Valley, just floating. I think from between Canada and Mexico. I can be on my most pristine backcountry, you know, foothills in the central coast and coast, and be fifty miles back in and find five mylar balloons just laying out in in blacktail trophy blacktail country and go. How do they get here? You know? Right. <laughs> the ranchers with right? us on it. All the private landowners that are outdoorsmen are like, "Oh, here's another balloon. Woohoo! Yeah, mm. happy birthday balloons are the ones I always find. And I was like,
3: uh, we have a little inside jokes. Like the only time a happy birthday balloon is not going to piss me off is when it's actually my birthday, and I find it out there searching."
0: yeah it's kind of a funny little side story guys but uh, a really good private rancher friend of mine that i still spend a lot of time with when i'm in the golden state either hunting on his land or just going over security issues related to you know illegal cannabis or, or water diversions or whatever he just had his 50th birthday and he posted a social media post that said Hey, everyone. Thanks for all the great birthday wishes, but you can stop sending me balloons. And he put, there's a picture of a Mylar balloon. He found it like an O and a five from different places <laughs> on his uh, ranch. Too and he's funny. like, no more balloons, please. I'm uh, done with that uh, a comment personally, but, uh, but Hey, kudos to you guys for cleaning that up. You're making a dent, right? So you're up there yeah. Dealing- Environmental cleanup. So there's always a positive spin. It never hurts to be out there, even if you're coming up yeah. with zero, zero, zero. You're always making a dent. Um, what's this? What's this case? You sent us a link. Yeah. Can we can we, can we finish that other dent? case though? Because I oh, we still sorry. have not yeah. I
3: think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait. We're, we're almost the there. <laughs> <case>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, so Brad Dad found this fire. Um, it didn't really, it did, you know, at the time when he found it, it, you know, we have a lot of snowboarders, alpinists, skiers that, you know, and and just hikers that use this area. It's a really popular spot. So you, there was nothing definitive that said, oh, this could have been, you know, Rachel was here. Um, but over the whole winter, something was just eating at him. Something was just telling, and he kept re- referencing. The tidiness. He's like, the tidiness of the trash just speaks to me that it's my daughter. My daughter was here. Rachel was. Who knows their child better than a father? You know, what 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 my new detail would speak more to anybody than a father? Nobody, you know, a father knows his child best. You know, now husbands might know the child more intimate, but a father knows his child best. And something just kept eating at him about this fire. And the husband Jamie and Brad Dad, as we call him, you know, they were kind of at each at, at, at opposing forces because you know we found a cup of noodle, um, some hand warmers, and uh, a whole bunch of glow sticks. And so the hand warmers and the glow sticks, you know, was things that her and her husband would use, but they would never eat cup of noodles when they'd go out in the mountain. Right. Uh, but that was always because it was him and her. They had always used mountain house. So he, the husband, Jamie was like, yeah, uh, I really don't feel that that's Rachel's cause she wouldn't eat cup of noodles. But Brad dad was like, no, the tidiness, you know, the tidiness of all the trash and the way it was left there. He's like, just screams Rachel. So, Uh, This year, you know, we were getting ready to go and boot up for uh, the first part of our search mission, which was around uh, Memorial Day. But uh, another person went missing, Tom Simonseth, on the mountain at that time at the end of May, the day after my birthday, he went missing in the same area. Their PLS was like less than 100 meters apart. Um, So the family reached out to us to go up there since they knew, you know, there ain't nobody that knows that mountain better than bud Carr and his team you know after two years of searching for rachel up there he knows that mountain so they reached out to us and you know so we went and started working there but since in the same area we're kind of working the cases at the same time Mm. finally tom's best friend finds him uh when we came off the mountain from a search that very next day he found tom so we are actually going back to search for rachel but while you know over the winter time, Brad Dad just kept saying, "Hey, something about this just say, says Rachel, says Rachel, says Rachel." Okay, so we found another spot on a on a search earlier this year that you know had mountain house looked like someone took shelter, looked like it was a couple years old. So you know, I told Brad Dad, I was like, "Hey, look, I was like, I want to get you down to this spot and I want to you know see what you feel get your from vibe. this yeah. new spot, yep. from the old spot." You know, I just want to get, and it almost killed him, unfortunately. I mean, I had to carry his backpack out. He was having, he, he was, was the most brutal trip that he's ever been on in his life. Um, and we got him down there, and, you know, he sat down, you know, trying to, you know, center himself, and he was like, yeah, this is just trash. Yeah. You know, nothing speaks to me at all. Uh, so we got him back to the forward operating base, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to go from this point. You know, the fire that you believe is Rachel's, we're going to get to there and we're just going to let the terrain dictate us down the mountain as she's just bombing straight down the western flank of the mountain and see what happens. Uh, we did that, me and two other guys did that in the end of July. I came within about 40 feet of her remains in the end of July. And then we were going back up in August. To do another search, but they closed the trailhead and the road because of the Pincer Creek fire. Right, and the night before we were getting ready to go out for the weekend, Brad Dad calls me and he's like, "Hey, I heard that the roads closed, and the trailhead's closed." And I had the writer and the outdoor photojournalist from the Spokane Review already planned to come out that weekend. You know, to they were one to do a story on us, and they figured that it would be you know a few months of you know coming out with us in the woods doing this story hey, bud, right. can i interrupt you just be... for
2: a minute john are you hearing that yeah. feedback at all the click 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 yeah, click i'm click, hearing click. a lot of crackling yeah it was getting is bad it? so i don't know <laughs> it
3: could be my it could be my voice because i'm getting
2: no it's a, it's electronic no, it's sound so like a cracking in crack, your crack, microphone. Crack, crack, so i don't know if we should bring you out try it again there bud it was just getting to the point where okay. it was i don't know if Jake can clean that is up is it
0: is it is it is it better at
2: all or I still got it, Do you John? S- still some cracking, yeah. Yeah. But
0: th- we're on the edge of our seats, man. This I know, is and that's really why good. I was. I mean, <laughs> I
2: could cut this stuff out too, but don't get me that. I mean, we'll yeah, we're gonna, we're it. gonna
0: finish because th- this is getting close to, yeah, Rachel,
2: man. So, but and hopefully our good producer can take out the crackling. So, <laughs> but okay, uh, I, I didn't want to, but if we could have fixed it, I wanted to try to fix it. <laughs> yeah, good call, Wayne. I mean. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Okay, so, uh, you know, Brad Dad calls me Thursday night. We're headed out Friday morning, gonna stay out till, you know, Sunday evening. And, uh, you know, we already have a forward operating base up at 5,500 feet up on the mountain. We already got gear, food, supplies stashed up there in buckets and stuff. So that, you know, is where we operate from. And Brad Dad calls he says the road's closed. I check with the Forest Service. Yeah, road is closed and you know brad dad's like so are we gonna call off the search and i was like no um you know i got people already planned to come uh you know the report the outdoor writer and the photojournalist is planning on coming you know no i was like "Uh, nothing's gonna stop us you know i told brad dad i said look i was like this could be the roadblock this could be the roadblock that diverts us right where we want to go uh you know yeah since we can't you know search from above to below where we wanted to be i was like we're just gonna have to start from the road and go straight up the mountain and uh so friday we get there in the morning we go out for a recon half the team showed up friday we go out for a recon go up to about 3500 feet we had to start at like 1100 feet off the main road um yeah and we're going up 45 degree you know pacific northwest bush it's it's hell. all that duff you know you might as well be on ice with all that duff and those pine needles underneath that old growth saturday morning you know friday night everybody shows up the outdoor reporter and the photojournalist show up friday night yeah you know, we set up for s- preparing the search in the morning our plan was my plan was to get up to the 4500 foot level uh because it's just a, uh, there's a terrain feature there where it's really nice and shallow and then becomes pretty steep from the south or the north. And it kind of funnels you into this drainage. And I knew that the terrain would, if she was going down that terrain, it's going to funnel her right into this drainage that we were actually camped on at the bottom by the road. And, uh, you know, we split up into different teams. I like to run, you know, if we got six to 10 guys i'll have you know two guys paired up or gals uh we got women out there who help too um and uh, we just go out in two-man teams a couple hundred meters apart or wherever we can keep eyesight on each other and start bombing up the mountain uh you know i end up finding first uh, a piece of vertebrae uh you know you never expect it and you know since i want to throw this in here real quick You know, morale, you guys can attest to this, morale is a huge thing about being out there in the wilderness, especially when you're doing work like this. You have to keep your morale up. And I have guys and I've had people who come out, you know, and they expect today's the day we're going to find her. Today's the day we're going to find her. And then they then we don't find anything and they're so demoralized that they don't want to come back. Uh, Me, in my mind, for my personal well-being, you know, I go out there knowing or trying to put in my head that I'm not going to find her today all I'm doing is clearing ground of where that person is not at. And that's how I keep my morale up because I never go out thinking today's the day we're going to find her. Uh, so I find, we find it. me and another guy that was with me, we find a piece of vertebrae. You know, it's really odd. It doesn't look like deer. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of smallish, but it and it just don't really look like a human vertebrae. But then again, I'm not that great with human bones. Um, So we put it in a bag, you know, continue on. And I usually call out at certain interview intervals of, you know, where people are at, uh, see what elevation they're at, and then usually have, you know, a break, take a 10-minute break every hour because it's brutal terrain. You don't want to wear yourself out. So I call for everybody to stop where they're at, have a break, you know, consolidate together, break together, and then we'll fan back out after break and keep moving. And at break, one of the guys... Kevin, who is the fiance of the missing girl, Sam, he was kind of got a little away from the group and the team. So he's like, okay, I'm going to lay down and take a nap. He lays down and takes a little, you know, five, ten-minute cat nap. Well, all the rest of us are consolidated together. And he's about 4,500 feet and, uh, you know, breaks over. I call over the radio, okay, breaks over. Everybody try to, you know, get eyes on each other that if you're away from the group, Kevin goes up and stands on this boulder. Looks over, and there's Rachel right there, wow. ten feet from where he was laying
0: down. Mm. Wow! Um, what was uh, what did you guys ascertain? I mean, after all that time, finally finding her, had she did? did it look like there was a uh, a survival camp there going? Was she kind of yeah, trying to totally, hold on? She
3: totally did. Uh, you know, uh, and that was you know, I went twice since last year and this year. I came within forty feet of her remains and didn't see her she found this real low hollow next to this giant hemlock windfall that fell across you know there's a big boulder on one side there's this huge hemlock on the uphill she she found this little low depression because it was super you know we had 55 mile an hour winds that night yeah Um, so it was super windy snowy uh you know she put her you know hypothermia is what got her being wet because she didn't have any rain gear none of her gear she didn't have a tarp nothing you know but she did try to do everything right she put her sleeping pad down tucked next to this tree as much as possible got inside her sleeping bag uh you know stuck her 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 hiking poles up and then tried to prop her backpack and other things above her to try to shed water yeah and Took off her boots, got inside there, hunkered down, went to sleep, and
0: woke up somewhere else. Wow, wow! And uh, remind us how long had it been since she was reported missing or last seen? Uh,
3: that was she was last seen October seventeenth of two thousand nineteen, and we found her August fourteenth of twenty twenty-one. So wow. just under two years.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> great find, regardless, man. And I'm sure as hard as it, as hard as it was to see that. I can imagine that uh that there was a lot there was a lot of relief on the family's yeah. part with all the effort. And they were embedded in the search with you, you know. Yeah. And again, I think this just adjuncts what we do on the formal search and rescue medium of having guys and gals on teams like yours doing this and and it's and it's critical. Um wow. Well, great work on that one, man. That was uh and, and you know, to your point, you mentioned. The morale being the biggest thing and staying motivated, like we're going to find her today. We're going to find her today. We're going to find her today. It's like any long-term investigation Wayne and I are involved in, and I can talk about some MET missions that went years, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, it's, it, uh, it, my, my saying is always, Hey guys, it's, 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 a it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a yeah. long arduous race that a very small percentage of a population are ever going to finish. You know, because yeah. you're not going to find everybody. Obviously, I mean, yeah, you're you're yeah. looking for a needle and a stack of needles in these environments. Yeah. West Coast doesn't matter where you're at, man. I mean, we all live in some crazy backcountry bush, so it, it's a major victory when you find somebody. Mm-hmm. But I I I think as long as you're trying, it's it's still uh you know it's still a positive. And yeah. set your expectation level appropriate and look at it as you know kind of NFL chunk plays. Right, we may not find yeah. her, but we might. So today we're going to cover this much. And that's the first part of a relay race. Then we're going to take the next half of the relay race. And we're just going to keep it a marathon and we're just going to keep crawling. We're not going to run, not going to burn out. We're just going to keep mentally, uh, mentally re- relatable to what the situation requires. And I think that you, said that, really, you said that really well. And I never really look at I never had never articulated that on this type of mission. So well said. And, uh, and for people that want to join a, a team like yours, perhaps more people will. Maybe when listening to this up in the area you and I are at, maybe, you know, we'll get some interest on the East Coast if there are teams like this or other parts of the country, but at least we can put it out there. Um, and we can also prep people for the right mindset to be successful on a team like this going into it. And I think you said it well. Yeah. And I- Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I think you deploy a lot of East Coast methods in your tactics, but, um, I mean, doing yeah. drainages, things like that, that's, that's stuff we do. We embed the family with search and rescue missions just so they know what the terrain is like, how it's like, what the search and rescue mission. That's that's priceless we've found through the years um, yeah. of working with family. If, if there's members that want to, we send them out with a good team of game wardens so they don't get hurt so they can, yeah. A, participate, and, and they're vital to that. And the second thing is they know what's what's happening with the volunteer search and rescue teams, as well as the state search and rescue teams. Do you have a vetting process for members and stuff like that? Or so you're not putting out uh, people or
3: we, you know, we 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 look for people who are, you know, mountaineers, alpinists, um, not just, you know, <clears throat> we get we do get a lot of people who are like trail runners and, and, and hikers you know, we're like, Oh, I'm a very experienced hiker. And it's like, well, yeah, you're a great hiker on the trail, but we're not hiking trails. You know, we're going into the side (laughs) hill. We're going into the hell hole. We want guys who, and gals who can be in the hell hole and uh, not, you know, and not have to worry about injury at all. Um, so the, our, our vetting is, you know, me, um, you know, uh, I look at it, like, you know. I was raised in the in the Colorado Rockies in the '80s when my dad had the gold mine. I was seven years old. They'd be mm-hmm. gold mining, and my dad'd be like, "Take your dog and run around the mountains," you know. And I'm running around up at 11,000 feet above Granite, Colorado, with grizzly bears and mountain lions running around me, and uh, and then the Uinta Mountains of Utah, and now the Cascades of uh, Washington State, because I've been here since the '90s, and uh, you know, so that's to me. That speaks more to me than diploma on the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the guys who uh, have just you know like myself? I live in these mountains. Uh, I, I I drive twenty minutes and I'm at five thousand feet, uh, and this is my backyard. Mm-hmm. So we look for those type of people. You know, we we do like the the rough around the edges cuss. Too much, uh, you know, mountain men, hunters, the guys yep. who aren't doing the Instagram <laughs> selfies of, oh, I just summited Mount Hood. Look how cool I am. I want the guy who <laughs> went to the peak and summited the peak that nobody likes because it's the ugliest mountain. And, you know, and you and there's no good there. photo backdrop. <laughs> That's the guy I want.
0: Yeah. yeah. You, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we call it a PhD from the School of Hard Knocks, you know. Exactly. Straight yeah. Up. And and to your point, um, you mentioned hunters in that whole lineage of the right types for this. And you're right. I and I call it real hunters. I call it the, the, the bow hunters, the way we hunt here in Montana. You know, you're not on roads, you're not road hunting, you're doing a lot of footwork scouting before season, during season, after season, knowing your mountain. And when you get to know so much about the demographics of where your animals and the temperate zones and white tail trails and all those things you get to know things in the woods that you don't normally see on a recreational hike off a trail, right? And when you have that type of experience and the places you're going to look for a water hole for a bedding area is kind of a place where a stranded hiker or a lost hiker, somebody in a snow, they're going to hole up in a good bedding area where the animals do, or they're going to hole up near water, you know, if they can find it. Off a trail. And so absolutely, I mean, kudos to everybody that's a true hunter and a conservationist out there as a potential candidate. And and it it makes me think of the hunters that find these lost hiker remains. We get a yeah. lot of those on the West Coast. Some of my best reports, you know, they're finding cannabis grows from the cartels in the middle of <laughs> nowhere that fortunately, you know, didn't end deadly because so many people couldn't get to this remote area and you know kept the public safety factor, couldn't find it. Same thing with these different hunting holes, you know, and they find a lot of missing persons or clues to the area of where a missing person might be last known oh, yeah. trash pile, whatever. So yeah, it's uh it it, it takes a certain, certain grizzle, uh, you know, a l- little bit of hard, a certain hard character, a beast. little grizzle.
3: You can could, you could say, <laughs> yeah. say, say it takes a, it takes a mountain beast, whether it's two legged or four legged.
0: Yeah, it, it really does, man. Uh, real pipe hitters, guys, guys and gals that really want to grind and get after it. Uh, but there are those out there. There's a lot more than people think that, and they'd love to help, man. What a way to to put those skills and that, you know, that drive to, to work mm. for the good, for the better good. Yeah, yeah for sure. No doubt. Great. So so what's this start. case coming up? Let, let's close out um, on what you guys are doing next, how people can reach you. And we, we can talk a little more about the foundation that does fund some of your efforts that could possibly fund other parts of the country that people may not be aware of.
3: Well, right now, uh, man, we have quite a few cases right now of families who've reached out to us. Um, The first one, which we're working on right now, is the Shirley Bauman case. She went missing last year near North Bend, uh, Washington, about three hours away. They found her camp completely set up. Okay. uh, But her and just a few small belongings were missing. You know, we still we still go down and search the Vesper area for Samantha Sayers. Um, if there's any new leads or any time the, you know, the son, Alan, wants to go up and search Sock Mountain, we'll, we'll go up there and search for Patty. Uh, we have a guy missing up near Yakutat. Their family reached out to us, a pilot. I uh, can't remember his name. Alan's something off the top of my head. He went missing just like 15 minutes out of Yakutat. Uh, they reached out to us. Um, if that, if that's something that's going to be a year out. Uh, it takes a lot of planning to be up up there, and the winter and the conditions to flying up there is almost completely over with now. Um, mm. So there's uh, uh, quite a few. Um, we've also been reached out by the uh, Native American tribes. Nice um, for the uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. They have reached out to us uh, wanting to coordinate, wanting to, uh, you know, get our help on some of their cases on reservations. Um, sh- the gal, uh, Shelly, who I've been speaking to, who runs this uh, quick reaction force that she's putting together right now Uh the one thing that really she really loves about me is the fact that I'll take a father or a, or a loved one's gut instinct on something and run with it, whereas most agencies won't consider it because it's not in the book. So that's one thing that got her really hyped on us is that I'm willing to just go off a gut feeling because what else do you got to lose at this right. point? Right. Um, So those are the main cases right now that, uh, that we're kind of, you know, looking at, looking at, helping out. Uh, We're actually going out this weekend. Got to go out a good team, about 12, really good uh, experienced men and women uh, that's going to be going down this weekend to go search for Shirley. And uh, hopefully we can bring some resolve there this weekend. It would be nice to, get another uh, person home before the uh, winter really sets in and keeps us out of the mountains.
0: Yeah. And, and Godspeed and good luck on that. That's something we'd like to stay in touch with you on. And, and certainly uh, whatever we can do to help the, but keep us posted on how those things go. We'll, we'll certainly uh, keep in touch. We're connected now and uh, just really impressed with what you guys are doing. You know, it's such a, thanks. A, it's a hard physical job to do. And mm. it's a hard mental job to do because of what you're going to find, it's a different kind of win. I'll just put it at that. It is it's a different kind of win, but it's a hard win. It's a painful win, but it's so necessary. And uh, kudos, we really appreciate your efforts out there.
3: Yeah, yeah. thanks, uh, Brad. Dad, he, you know, and, that, and that's another thing that I really, uh, you know, have learned. In, you know, being involved in these cases is is the bonds with these families. Uh, yeah. The other night, you know, at 11:30 at night, Brad Dad calls me up. Um, you know, having a, you know, having a really bad time, you know, dealing with his, the fact that he'll never touch his beautiful daughter again. Um, it's 1130 at night, you know, he's drunk, uh, uh, you know, really in all such a bad sort. And I talked to him for three hours on the phone, standing on my front porch while the family was asleep, uh, you know, just talking him down, out of, you know, talking him out of the bad headspace um and 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 that's the greatest reward you know there's a lot of people you know we get a lot of this all these families pay these guys to do this it's morally wrong and all this stuff and you know and uh you know they do help out with you know food and supplies and they buy us dinners after a good hard search you know me and my team they go hey let's take you to the restaurant and let's have you a good dinner because you just spent a week on the mountain eating shit food (laughs) <laughs> uh, but, the greatest, <laughs> but the greatest reward is that, you know, is, is, is knowing that what you've done for these people means so much to them that they call you in the middle of the night, you know, um, and, and want to talk to you because you formed that bond with them that no amount of money will ever, you know, be able to bridge that gap with somebody and, and that's the greatest thing to take away from all of this is that, uh, yeah, we are bringing families home. We are bringing you know, closure to them. But we're also growing the family, too. You know, they consider me part of the family just as I consider them part of my family now. And, you know, and that's the legacy to take away from this is even, you know, even in death these people are still doing work on this earth because if they weren't, why would we all come together and forge the bonds that we forged if these people still weren't doing God's work on this earth, even after they left it?
0: Yeah, that's that's really well said. And you got to remember, this isn't your day job. You know, no. <laughs> you guys are doing this on your own time, on your own dime, after making a living for your families. So there's no more genuineness in that. And those bonds are beautiful when they're made and they should be made because the families know you guys are really in it for the right reasons. You're in it for them. Um, You're not in it for you other than the personal rewards you get from, you know, maybe getting some closure, but you're really showing empathy and love for those families and empathizing with the pain of that loss. And that's, you know, you just don't see that enough. And it's, it's awesome. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Thanks bud. Thank you. Thank you guys.
0: Well, thanks for
2: being a guest with us. really appreciate it and sharing what you guys are doing. So that's really cool. So,
3: Yeah, and thank you guys for having me on, and thank you for all your services. Uh, I've been doing a deep dive into to John and watching all this stuff that he's done, and I'm just so blown away um, and uh, honored that uh, you know that he's agreed to have me on. And also I'm probably going to be doing a deep dive into you, Wayne. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And seeing what you're into and what you've done, because, you know, and I think that's uh, I think we're kind of at that point right now uh, in society, you know, in the outdoors is, um, you know, more guys like us who have, you know, got 20, 30 years in the backcountry come together. And, you know, education, I think education is going to be the biggest thing with keeping people safe out there. Not only from, you know, a law enforcement point of view, search and rescue point of view, but also, you know, from just uh, regular common citizens like me and my team's point of view. You know, we got a lot of military guys. I have some active search and rescue people who come out, you know, because up here in the West Coast, if you're part of a team you can't go out on your own and search. Uh, you could lose your position on the team for that. I don't know why it's like that up here, but they really look down on that. So I got some search and rescue people who come in completely clandestine. We can't give them any props in the media because if they do, they get booted from their team. Uh, but I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, we is educating people from all these different points of view, you know, points of view, law enforcement, search and rescue, and just like us crazy mountain men, Uh to be able to keep people safe out there. Cause what a lot of people don't realize, you know, is the wilderness is still a wilderness. Wild is in it. It is a wild right. <laughs> place. There's yeah. wild beasts and there's wild people out there. Um, and, 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 and we are part of that, you know, uh, I believe in leave no trace, but at the same time, I don't believe in completely having no sign that a human traveled through because we are as human beings we are part of the wilderness you know Mm -hmm. that is our home that's where we have lived and died for thousands of years it was wild it's only been the last you know thousand years where we've turned parts of the wilderness into civilization but we are just amount of part, just as much a part of the wilderness as all the beasts who live out there 24-7. And I think a lot of people have forgot that because we're separated from, oh, this is a wild place I just go and recreate at. It's like, no, you know, the urban environment is a wilderness also. It's just made out of <laughs> steel and glass and concrete.
2: That's
0: different animals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The well, different animal. Yeah, <laughs> and we're going to continue. You know, the whole thing Wayne and I do with this podcast. It's it's about spreading the message. That's the bottom line. It's about sharing things that everybody in the country and beyond are passionate about, whether they know it or not. Uh, right. Public safety, and you know, they don't. You know, they don't call it the wilderness with wild in it for nothing. You right. said it, and I okay. think respecting Mother Nature at the highest level and going in as prepared as you can. And going in with a little technology like an InReach, you know that I, you know, I was old school until last year and never carried one. And finally, my family up here in Montana said, "Dude, you're out there alone in what's mm. the wildest of the lower 48 now? Glacier yeah. lakes, and grizzly, and bear, You know, all of it." And I said, "Yeah, I guess it's it's time." And and you know what? I, I was not being responsible. I wasn't being responsible to my family and to my profession. And I, I just don't think I was, you know, I was taking it for granted that I could deal with anything out there from the 20, 30 plus years experience that Wayne and I both have collectively and you have. And, you know, and when you start getting that confident, and don't think about it. That's when things go sideways. So with, with these podcasts, we really share all the issues that are out there good and bad mm, for the sake yeah. of everybody. And the work you're doing is helping with that. So we'll keep doing that together, but keep us posting on that case. Cool. it might well, be a great follow-up story, you know. Uh, depending yep. on how everything goes, and uh, thanks again for for being on, and we'll we'll uh, we'll be in touch.
2: Great. All right, thank you, John. For sure. Thanks, Bud.
0: Stay safe up there.
3: I will. You too, guys.